This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 197, Tracy Barrett Adams on Hypnotic Expectations. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back to the program. It's Jason Lynette here, and happy day before World Hypnotism Day. And what an amazing way to celebrate this annual holiday, thanks to Tom Nicoli, by spending this time here with Tracy Barrett Adams. That a couple of years ago, I branded the terminology of somebody being a hypnotic worker, uh, which is that person who is out there teaching other people how to do the work of a hypnotist, but at the same time, they're in the office, they're really seeing the clients, they're really doing the work. And Tracy just completely epitomizes that concept of being that hypnotic worker, that you're going to hear this incredible dialogue of uh, being raised in an environment where hypnosis was a normal thing, Uh, an amazing experience by being introduced to hypnosis thanks to a dentist, using it for her own personal uh, journey in terms of overcoming some challenging moments, and then taking those steps to eventually learn the work, open up shop, and really a lot of what we are going to talk about here is this concept of how do we set that appropriate expectation, which is not to say of explaining to the client why it's not going to work. No, in many ways, explaining how it is going to work and how they are going to be effective, yet giving those specific parameters that they can be looking for in terms of, as she says, as quoting Scott Sandlin here, getting traction in terms of getting that process in motion. Take some notes and listen to this one a couple of times over because there's some amazing takeaways in this conversation. You can check out Tracy's website. The links are going to be in the show notes over at worksmarthypnosis.com. I'd also encourage you to check out htlive.net and click on the workshops because we're going to spend some time in this conversation talking about some of the work that Tracy has done working with people who are challenged by sleep problems, working with insomnia. And there's a post-conference offering that Tracy is doing called Put Insomnia to Rest, which I'm sure there's going to be a lot of real-world applications of hypnosis in there, so check out that, too. All the links will be, again, over at worksmarthypnosis.com. I'd also encourage you to head over to hypnosistraininginstitute.org. If you head over to that site, that's the website for HPTI, and you can actually find out all the details for the upcoming HPTI Winter Hypnosis Convention. It's happening in late February 2019 in Las Vegas. I'll be there as a speaker, an amazing lineup, and Tracy Barrett-Adams will be there speaking on medical hypnosis, the art of building a thriving practice, an amazing workshop. I'm sure that I'm going to be sitting in the room listening to that one. While you're on the web, also head over to worksmartbusiness.com. Not just hypnosis now, also business. This is my upcoming book, which if you're listening to this before the book launch in late January, heading over to that site will give you all the details to get a free digital copy of that book before it officially launches. If you're listening after the book launches, that website will likely redirect over to Amazon, and that's where you can pick up a copy of the book online, worksmartbusiness.com. And with that, let's jump directly into this phenomenal conversation. This is session number 197, Tracy Barrett Adams on Hypnotic Expectations. First introduction to hypnosis was when I was about seven years old. Uh, I had a dentist who used hypnosis. He was kind of a hippie and uh, (laughs) in Northern California and um, following a, a 
a kind of a rough experience as a child with a, a dentist who was a, supposedly a pediatric dentist when I was about three years old. And as it turned out, he was uh, roughing up all of the little children who were going to see him. And oh, so wow. I, it wasn't, wasn't, I don't remember anything about it. Um, my mother, um, my mother was uh, the, actually the, the ringleader of the, of the, the mothers who got him run out of town, but that's another story. They, they ultimately the though did lead to no, my No, I think that's going to be the only story this week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did, it did lead to my introduction to hypnosis because after that experience, when I was about three, I refused to go to the dentist. I just, you know, I would wake up every morning and say, do we have to go to the dentist? And my mother would say, no, no. So, but years went by and uh, she knew she had to create some method for me to get my teeth cleaned. And she found a dentist about uh, two hours away who used hypnosis instead of Novocaine. And he seemed like a really nice guy. And so my mom and I went to the dentist about four times and we would sit, I would sit in the dentist chair. My mom would sit there. The dentist would put me into hypnosis. He set an anchor over the course of a few sessions. He set three anchors, um, a little buttons on my arm, one that would make me completely numb in my mouth and another that would cause me to stop salivating and another that would completely stop the peripheral blood flow in my gums and my mouth. And, uh, and then I had, I was really behind on my dental work (laughs) at this point. So I needed to have quite a bit of it done. And that was one of the the things that the the bad dentist used to threaten children with was poking them with a needle. So I had all of my dental work done supposedly with no needles, including many fillings of some extractions of baby teeth and uh, no Novocaine. And it was really uh, a fun introduction to hypnosis. Uh, my uh, whole experience was very positive all the way up till I was about 13. And I kept that same dentist. But at that point, he said, look, <laughs> we go to Novocaine now. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, it just was taken, you know, it took a little when I as I saw him less often, those those uh, he had, it took some time to reinitiate the whole thing every time. So mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, and then when I was also uh, so some time went by and then um, in my 20s, I also had a more, I think, serious application. I had a, had a, a, a traumatic experience that like sometimes they do instead of getting better over time, it just continued to get worse and dominate my life. And, um, just really stumbled upon a guy who I thought was a psychologist, which he was a psychologist, but he was also a hypnotherapist and he did a single session life changer for me. And, um, I, I walked out of there, thought that was interesting. And about two weeks later, I realized that the lights had come on. So, uh, uh, it was, uh, transformational. And, uh, so those are my first experiences as a client. And then several years later, I met a person by, by chance who was a hypnotherapist that was at a turning point in my life and looking for a career that would be more satisfying than what I had been doing. And just immediate light bulb went off and I said, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. So. Wow. That's amazing. So just, we kind of jump around here. How has, mm-hmm. How have those two specific experiences, would you say, influenced the work that you're now doing? Oh, totally. Uh, that was when I got into hypnosis, I knew immediately that I wanted to work with pain. Um, that was mm-hmm. my my goal. I wanted to work specifically really with end-of-life pain because I'd been through some experiences with my dad at the end of his life that I really felt that was a great connection that ended up not being quite the direction I went. But um, just from the practical standpoint, it was it was easier for me to create that uh, niche for uh, working with uh, uh, just more chronic pain. I was also a person who had had migraines for years, uh, 
from the time I was a teenager. And I, without knowing it, had used self-hypnosis to deal with them. I didn't know that's what I was doing uh, until I became a hypnotist. But then I discovered, oh, yeah, that's that's how I've been resolving those migraines and why I don't have them anymore is this self-hypnosis process that I taught myself. So I uh, began specializing in uh, more neuro on the neuro side. And, and that's really the, the direction things went. But I, I would say that my uh, uh, sort of side focus that I don't market to or talk about a lot is I do a fair amount with people who are maybe also working with a, a mental health care team as well, but processing trauma. Hmm. Got it. So there's a question that's popped up here several times that there's one part of the hypnotic population, let's say it to completely overgeneralize this, is uh -huh. very comfortable working with hypnotic pain relief. And there's another category that's kind of afraid of entering into that. What um, mm. what advice, what tips would you share with them that kind of have that that hesitation? Boy, you know, it's a uh, my first client, I was even though I'd had all the training, I was a little scared of that too. And I talked to an, another mentor uh, who said, oh, well, just ask the client, what would make that feel more comfortable? Would it be mm -hmm. cold? Would it be warm? Would it be to soften it? Would it, you know, it, rather than even asking them, you know, if they describe their, their, their discomfort, you immediately have the metaphor for uh, something that's going to be more comfortable. And even talking about what it would be like to have things be more comfortable creates uh, that memory, the start gets the foot in the door for that. And, and it's surprising, uh, I think to people how easy it is to work in this area because there's really no, uh, conflict. People want to feel better and yes. there's, there's no resistance. People want to feel better and there is no resistance to trance either in working with pain because people are already there. If someone's in pain or fearful of pain, they're already in trance. And so it's really just a question of using that. And uh, it's, uh, it's, and setting expectations. That's the other piece I think that's important is that we uh, have to be clear that we're not promising a cure or, uh, you know, we're not going to be promising an anesthetic that you're walking around with that's uh, perpetual. Um, making sure that those, those client expectations are aligned with with uh, the fact that it's a process and the fact that we may be looking at uh, shifting sensation more or we may be looking at improving quality of life more but that it's hard to do the work without experiencing some benefit we just get to need to get clear with what those expectations are that's beautiful so then back to that startup story so you went through the experience of learning how to put it all together in terms of using it for yourself uh, but then what was that next step of then solidifying the learning and actually taking action, learning it. Um, that was a journey, I will say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a lengthy journey. I, it's still ongoing, I think. But the uh, my first thoughts were to find a, a look at look for training. And when I started looking for training, I ran into the obstacle uh, as a person who knew nothing about the field at all other than these his dentist who had gone off for some weekend seminar and had a book, I think. And, uh, um, my, and this psychologist who was the uh, head of a department at San Francisco state. So I, these are two, two people who weren't doing it as a profession. They were the only exposure I'd had. And, um, so I didn't know what the educational requirements were. I didn't know. I th thought I would be potentially looking at a six year journey just to get, uh, be become qualified. And, uh, so was really surprised to see 
become certified to be a hypnotist in a weekend. And yes. uh, I was really <laughs> shocked and thought, well, this can't be what I want. And um, so I, as I was looking at the, the internet was a little younger uh, around this and there were uh, just a, seemed to me fewer options than there are now is less um, less evident. And maybe it's just my knowledge now that makes it more evident. But I did do some research and find a hypnotherapist uh, who worked primarily with pain in her practice, who also did training. And it was, and she was someone who had worked with research in pain with the mm-hmm. University of New Mexico. And um, my family was in New Mexico. So I traveled down to New Mexico and really worked with her one-on-one for a while and did my initial training with her and did my medical certification with her. And it was limited because it was working with a single individual. And so her style, which is ultimately turned out to be much different than my style, nevertheless, it was very concentrated in a, in a, I think a good concentrated way. It was, uh, was because it was so, um, individualized. And then from there I went off and kind of traveled the world and did, every training I could get. And I bought (laughs) everything on video that I could find. And, uh, and I, uh, and I worked a lot with mentors. So I I did a lot of one-on-one for the first, uh, six months or so that I was seeing clients. I probably was on the phone with a mentor every, every week, at least just consulting either about specific clients or talking about how things were going. Yeah. And that's, that's a topic that's popped up here several times that uh, a lot of people often try to go at it alone. Uh, were Mm -hmm. you, Seeking out to, to look at that mentorship process, were you seeking out people who already had that as an option, or were there people that you would learn from and mm-hmm. then felt this is someone I need to learn more from and then reached out organically? It was more that it was more the latter. And the people that I worked with, because I hadn't ever been to a conference, you know, I didn't, you know, the people that I met were people that I either met while I was in a training or teachers from those trainings. And I was extremely passionate when I started. I'm very, very passionate <laughs> and very committed. And so I think my instructors could all see that. And they were like, okay, well, here, just you need anything, give me a call. Because I think they could tell I was going to stumble <laughs> around a little bit. And I was very passionate. And so um, I had some, uh, a couple of mentors that were, that really said, they really offered that up to say, you know, give me a call. And and, and so I did that. And, and some some of those relationships were paid relationships and some not. Um, and some of those hypnotherapists are well-known and some not well-not and some some not well-known and, uh, and well, not either. Um, anyway, the, the, um, uh, the value of that was so tre- tremendous because I didn't know what I didn't know starting out. And so as I was, establishing a practice and doing all the things I'd been an entrepreneur before I had, I mean, I'd always been self-employed doing something. So that business piece wasn't very complicated or challenging, but the piece of having someone in front of me that I was juggling new knowledge with empathy and, you know, relating to them, that, that piece, putting those pieces together, it was really great to have some support for that and not to be isolated. Yeah. So what was that career path before? You said always an entrepreneur. Um, yes, pretty much. Some little brief window in the early 80s. I was I worked for the man, but no, um, <laughs> I, had, um, I was a, I used to be an actor. And um, so oh, really? that was yeah, that was my um, first career. And I left that to get married and have kids and had four kids. And when they got a little bit, you know, school agey, I started a theater program that was uh, 
for uh, kids, for youth, and did something that I had done as a kid, which was uh, started a, a touring program. We would, with um, high school kids and mid-high kids, junior high kids, we uh, did a, a literature program where we took literature and turned it into plays. And like we did it through the Looking Glass and Phantom Tollbooth and and the kids did the writing and mentoring. We also did theater and improv. And then we would turn this into a show. By the end of the school year, we'd have this show that we'd take on tour to elementary schools. And um, and it was loads of fun. And it wasn't, I would say it was an entrepreneur. I had a husband who had a job too. So it wasn't exactly, a, uh, you know, I didn't have to make my living off of it, but it was it was something that uh, uh, was, a, was a good side income. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and, uh, and that's a, that's a theme that's popped up here many times over the the theatrical background that you know yeah. the, the whole aspect of the creative style of it the the putting mm -hmm. it all together and um, mm -hmm. I probably have quoted the same Lauren Michaels line on here at least a hundred times about uh, whether the show is ready or not we go live at eleven thirty yeah <laughs> that when you're <laughs> yeah. when you're there in front of the client it's it's the okay here's mm -hmm. all the preparation that I have up until now let's put it into use. And there's always that opportunity later on to, you know, to go back and review and say, well, I could have done it this way. I could have done it uh, that way for you. Which which aspect of the, the theatrical background would you say helped to influence the hypnosis the most? Uh, two things. Uh, one is the imaginative sense of putting yourself in a role yes. of being and, and being really connecting to what it's like to be in this other person's shoes and and then. Uh, so that's one piece. And the other piece is the improvisational piece, uh, mm -hmm. having, you know, in the moment, um, pulling something out of the hat that is based on that relationship that we have doing, you know, in the moment being re responsive and kind of melding that basic skill set of hypnosis with the creative piece, with the, with the metaphor in the moment and with the uh, the connecting and it's in a lot, you know, a lot of times working with, in hypnosis, it is like, it's like when you're doing a scene in theater and it's just going right. It's just flowing and here we go. And it's just my job to find that point of flow with them. And, and, uh, it's, it feels like, a, uh, in a, in a way, a real parallel to, you know, two actors who are, who are in the really in the moment and, and it's really working. Well, what's beautiful about what you just said though, is that, you know, not necessarily the the performance, the creative aspect of it, just being the relationship of you and the client, but that that character study side of bringing the modeling into it of let me now mm -hmm. associate into what this person is going through, and you know what's mm -hmm. that motivation, what's that subtext, why are they here specifically on this day? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So in the startup phases of things, what were what were some of the things you did to to get those initial clients? Uh. Well. First thing I did, and I, I, I will say, I, like I said, I was passionate, and I, and I, it was, I had a, just a, a I'm not a woo-woo person, Jason, I'll just tell yes. you. I am the least <laughs> woo-woo person that I know. I used to say I was the least woo-woo hypnotherapist, but now I've met a lot of not woo-woo hypnotherapists, so I can't, I can't claim that anymore. Uh, but I would say that I was so, I really took a big leap, and so I needed to make it work. I just really needed to do that, just for on on a, on a lot of levels, and I had nothing better to do than make that work. So mm -hmm. I did what I did. So the first couple of things that I did, just on the kind of from the external side, is that before I even got my certification completed, uh, was you know still a few weeks away from that, I already had a website 
completed yes. that I really liked. Before that was even done, I had the website completed before I was, and I had office space that was serviceable uh, mm -hmm. and and flexible and really professional looking. I had a I rented office space in a medical tower. Beautiful, that, yeah. That uh, that said, you know, so that when people called me or when I talked to them, I could say, yes, you want to go to this medical tower? I'm on the 14th floor, and uh, that felt just exactly what I wanted my clients to feel that they were that they were going someplace that they could associate as um, uh, a part of the medical community, if not a, you know, a medical practitioner. Um, and so that's what I did kind of from the externals, the external side is I got those just basic ducks in a row so that people could find me. And if they found me that what they found was what I, what, what they were looking for. And then um, I was very fortunate I have to do have to chalk this up to a little bit of luck in that I my niche was so clear. It was so very, very clear that I wanted to work with medical stuff. I was not interested in working with non-smoking. That was something I knew because I, I knew I wanted to work with migraine clients and the smell of cigarette smoke is a trigger for many migraine people. So I knew I just didn't want people smoking a pack of cigarettes before they come in to quit and then stick making my office smell like smoke. So <laughs> I connected with another hypnotherapist in town who was really part of my journey to becoming a hypnotherapist in the first place. She's much younger than I am. I mean, well, not that much younger, but she's quite a bit younger. Um, my children were about to be out of high school when she was pregnant with her first. So um, she's that kind of, it's got that kind of relationship. But she'd been practicing for a few years quite successfully, primarily on quit smoking stuff and phobias. And she had no interest in working with healthcare, but she got calls for it all the time. And so we worked out a really nifty cross referral process where she was already practicing and thriving and she would refer all of these medical calls, medical hypnosis, pain, um, and anxiety. And, and anybody who wasn't her ideal client, basically she referred to me and I referred anybody who was looking for smoking or to not be, you know, scared of their, sh their, uh, the spider in the closet. So that's, that was how I got those clients, that first initial wave of clients. And I also did some Google AdWords. Yeah, let, let's and, pause there for a second, because that's a yeah. beautiful thing of building that symbiotic relationship with mm -hmm. other people that, you know, rather than the, no, I need all the business to myself, that we're allowed to, as the practitioner, yeah. pick that thing that you feel you work best with, the thing that you're also just the most interested in. And um, I, I'd side with you on the on the claim, and maybe we'll arm wrestle one day of the least woo-woo hypnotist in the market. <laughs> um, but it's to say that there's certain people that I can hear some of the details and go, you know, I think you're going to be a better fit for this specific mm -hmm. person. Or um, as I'm in the midst of some major projects, I am referring so many clients out going, mm -hmm. no, I'm on one laser focus path for the next 45 days. And yep. here, call call Monica and Ramsey right down the road. They're phenomenal. Here's uh, Meredith down the road. And it's that we all win when we do mm -hmm. that. Oh, yeah. And, and now I'm doing that too. I mean, I, I still... My uh, the colleague that initially we referred to each other, referred back and forth to each other. Uh, she's practicing quite a bit. Her excuse me, that uh, hypnotherapist who was referring quite a bit to me. You know, we no longer really she we refer cross refer occasionally, but she's changed her the nature of her practice a bit as her kids have grown. She's just uh, not practicing as much, and so but I don't depend on those referrals now. I have my own, and I refer out. There's a, a practitioner or a couple of practitioners in Seattle that. Because again, I'm so laser focused on some of these other projects that I'm working on now that I am uh, not interested in working that five day client week anymore. So I'm I am uh, referring to a practitioner who's newer and awesome 
and uh, and and is really eager to, and also very passionate uh, and eager to to learn some things. And uh, and there, my experience in terms of competition in Seattle is really uh, been phenomenal. When I began practicing, I think there were three of us who were really making a living when I started practicing a few, a few of us who were similar to me, you know, who would have maybe been looking at the same ideal client. And now there are probably, I would say 20 in Seattle and business has not diminished a speck. And I think that's because it's not really competition. It's normalization. It's the more hypnotherapists there are, the more people know about it. Somebody else's advertising is contributing to the pool of people who are being exposed to hypnosis and uh, it's it's all working together there's a there's a quick funny anecdote here I'd shared the similar through line that you know back about nine years ago it was about maybe four or five of us in this area then it became three and now there's a couple of dozen and it mm. changes the dynamic of that decision as to you know do I do hypnosis yes or no or do I you know or instead it becomes which one do I work with? Right. And there was a funny dialogue that popped up just by way of just Facebook Messenger the other week where without overtly saying the name of the person, of course, it just became clear that this one very specific person was calling all of us and was making huh. one very specific request. Uh. And I finally got the message from this person going, oh, I book with this person who's actually one of my students who, oddly enough, is in the same office complex that I am. And just mm. that place to go, great, you're going to do wonderful work with her. She's phenomenal. You know, to send that support over that, again, it really is widening that perspective as to this is the work that we do. Uh, you mentioned there, you know, getting into the online world that uh, trans, you know, bringing some of the work into Google AdWords to get clients to. Um, I don't advertise on Google AdWords anymore for yeah. my practice. I, I did for a long time. And then uh, it was it was costing me a lot of money. And I thought, well, I must be getting a lot of clicks because this is costing <laughs> me a lot of money. And so I I can't remember what exactly happened. Oh, I, I think I took a break. I, you know, you can stop Google AdWords. And I, I was going on vacation or something. And, and I was really booked out for a couple of months. And I said, well, I'm just going to stop this for a little while because I, I don't really... I'm just don't want to pay for it right now. And, and I, and I stopped it and I saw absolutely no shift in the calls or the yeah. emails and, and just nothing changed. And so I thought, well, okay, I won't do that. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> and so, uh, and so I don't do it anymore. And also they, um, the, we were, and we were, Oh, that's right. I remember we were in the middle of a, an email exchange where they were not liking my website because they felt the, the there was some of the wording that I was using that they didn't care for. They didn't want to, they wanted me to change for my advertising and I really didn't want to. So mm-hmm. I, I felt that I was speaking truth on my website. And um, <laughs> so uh, I, I was, I was pretty, pretty committed to that. And, um, and that was part of my decision based on other things that were going on that I could just afford to stop that for a while and then have not looked back from that. I still yeah. do use Google AdWords for my, um, hypnosis for childbirth classes. I, I oh, do yeah. I, just a little bit, you know, about a hundred dollars a month, just no question that I am on the first, I fill the entire first page of Google where if you look up hypnosis for childbirth in Seattle, I think, well, maybe not the entire, there's a couple of people maybe popping up on that first page, but, but I'm a lot of it. You. Yeah. It's mostly me oh, and my, and my, and my, my uh, colleague Kira uh, sometimes pops up, but she and I, um, have 
partnered together with the Hypnosis for Childbirth for years. So it's that's still me. And um, but I do run that ad. Just it's it's just like just I just want to stay at the top. Just right. Yeah. No, I I share there's yeah. um, Google AdWords Express, which mm-hmm. is the yeah. local map based listing. I, I turned that off a while ago, and I may play with a strategy at some point in the next couple of months um, for some reasons I'll mention here in a moment. Uh, but the specific language that Google is looking for there, um, anytime there is any testimonial, well, at least has been my finding, that they want to see the results may vary uh, statement, mm-hmm. um, which when they came after me for that, which I've, I'm playing the game at all times of guinea pig to go, well, what would happen if I do this? Okay, so mm-hmm. I'm booked out. But let's play with this and see what happens. And I've got a campaign that's currently running just for stop smoking. And it's it's not amazing right now, but it's bringing in enough that I can keep it running. And if anyone wants to see the specific language that I got Google to approve, if you go to virginiahypnosis.com and just look at the footer of the site, adding that uh, was enough to get the approval mm. in my case. Um but yeah, it's a game that's changed differently, even the way the keywords are set up. It's constantly changing that I had one month that I spent way too much money because my keywords were all set up incorrectly because I was doing what was sexy eight years ago and apparently that changed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Um, but you brought up something there that's absolutely critical that, you know, you should be able to test what you're doing and track it and see if it's actually working. And sometimes being willing to turn something off to see what happens is sometimes the only way to go about doing that, unless it's a specific, you know, uh, confirmation page or tracking page, different ways of going about it. Yes. Yes. And, uh, I have, uh, my experience with, um, doing any kind of advertising for the local market, it, you know, it's been, everything I've done has been helpful. And when I've stopped doing it, it's been okay. And now I'm exploring what it looks like to do marketing for the more national and international market. And I, I know, can tell you, I know nothing about that. So I'm, I'm the looking more, exploring. Yeah. The, the more specific you can get, the more you can play the game of who else would be interested in this. Right. So, so. You know, I, I can give the reference that the book I've got coming out in January it's specifically filling a gap that was left open between two major books in the in the business industry. So that will be the audience that I'll be targeting, which that will introduce the hypnosis to them as opposed huh. to meeting with the hypnosis. And a uh, little quick fun fact with Google AdWords, and this might have changed um, in the last six and a half years, and I'm about to find out. If you move your office and you've got reviews on Yelp, those uh, reviews travel with you. Uh, oh, with Google, is that new? Uh, that this is dating back six years. I'm going to have oh, to check okay. into this because I'm moving Virginia hypnosis in the next couple of months oh. that if you move your office with Google, however, with the map listing, they wipe all your reviews clean. Now, I'm going to have Ooh. to check into that. Uh, in fact, what I will do is, uh, listen to this episode, uh, post our conversation and I'll have the answer in that, uh, post roll as a bit of a wow. teaser. And also, cause I need a few days to find that out because, mm-hmm. That's that was one of my concerns around something went wrong with my physical space, not my actual business, and I've got to move. Um, oh, that's right. I saw you had a leak or something. Oh, we had. Uh, they like to use the term water infiltration. Uh, <laughs> in three that's months, a I nice still. Word. <laughs> I know, right? And uh, organic growth. No, that's mold. Shut up. Um, so we're moving. Um, yeah. But it's about time. Yeah. So then I want to bring into the conversation then uh, the. I have to ask it in a fun way because it's one of those topics that I've heard you speak on several times before. Uh, hey, Tracy, how'd you sleep last night? 
Oh, fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> I slept great. <laughs> yeah. Let's chat yeah. about working with insomnia, because I know that's one of the specialties that I've heard you talk on before. Yeah, it is a, an area that I uh, accidentally fell into as a practitioner. You know, I went into migraines because I, I had had experience with that. I knew I'd used it, but, and I, but I was also a lifelong insomniac, and I, I had not slept. I didn't sleep well as a kid. I was a non-sleeper as a kid. I was an anxious person. I, I, don't, I, told, I told this story at um, HypnoThoughts Live, but, you know, I saw, do you remember Get Smart? Yes. Okay, so when I was a little kid, I watched an episode of Get Smart, Get Smart, and there was one where Agent 99's head was a ghost head. It was, and it was floating at the end. It was just, the, it was part of the little end, ha ha moment at the end of the episode, like a little funny, like little, you know, clincher on the episode that Agent 99 was, you know, pretending to be a ghost. And I spent probably the next three months not sleeping, waiting for Barbara Feldon's head to float into my bedroom. So oh, wow. I was a real anxious sleeper and would go for nights and nights without sleeping. And it was just pretty, pretty chronic and unsolvable. And then after I got into hypnosis, once I became a hypnotherapist, I thought, well, maybe I can use this on myself. And I did. And it was like, oh, I can sleep now. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and I just thought it was me. But what I was running, what I was seeing so often were clients who were dealing with the issues that I was primarily working with them on migraine or, or, um, you know, other kinds of things. And they were also not sleeping well. And so I started working with them, uh, giving them some, um, re resolution with their sleep. And then they began working, uh, re excuse me, referring people to me. They would tell their doctors that they were seeing with pain. Well, I, I'm still like, you know, I, I still need this medication, but I'm also, I'm sleeping so much better. I feel so much better. Um, so I, I developed a program around it that is pretty reliable. And, and the, the big thing that I see with working with insomnia or that I've heard from hypnotherapists is that, people come in for that hypnotherapy session and maybe they get a, a few things can happen is that mm -hmm. if they've had a chronic issue, they might find that they resolve whatever that was that started the, the sleep problem. They might get to the absolute bottom of that, but the body is still really in the habit of being awake. The body yes. is still really good at staying awake at night. And so we need to retrain that body. And then the other piece is that people are, you know, usually sleepless for a few different reasons. One is that body piece. And, and some though is that, that people have trouble um, with anxiety. They're worried about things that are maybe going to happen in the future. Also, nighttime is one of those places where feelings of shame and regret about things from the past really rise up and, and can, um, uh, whether we're even consciously thinking about it or we just get that bad feeling. And so working with some thinking strategies, some emotional strategies, some stuff that we do in sessions and then a lot of what happens between those sessions. And I will give clients my program that I have is, you know, in the actual hypnotherapy piece, it's completely client centered. It's whatever we're, we're needing to do to resolve the core issue. Um, and a lot of it is about ways that they're retraining themselves to think about rest and think about sleep. And the, the root of it is that we set the expectation not to get more sleep, because the stakes are always really high about sleep, right? <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, I got to get sleep. I got to get to sleep. If I don't get to sleep, my life is going to suck. And so they're future pacing at night while they're not sleeping, having a rotten day the next day. And they're future pacing the results of not having slept. And so we work with, well, let's shift that. Let's lower the stakes and just make it about, at first, just make it about feeling better tomorrow. Whether you've had eight hours of sleep or eight minutes of sleep, that it's about feeling better. And then when people start to feel better, then it sets the system up to sleep better and to rest better, at least to get more out of that rest. And then we can break the cycle 
of adrenaline and uh, vigilance that comes with weariness. That expectation part of the conversation is amazing that, I mean, the random personal anecdote that is at one point I had, I forget if it was a Fitbit or an up, the job, one of the fitness trackers that's not an Apple Watch. And it's the type that, oh, wear it while you sleep. And it's going to give you feedback as to how well you slept. Oh, no. And it'd be <laughs> nine, ten. I, I'm, I'm, I, I lay them out. I go to sleep by like nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. I'm up around five. And here's the day that's like 11. I've been up for a while. I've been getting things done. And I look at the app and it says, your sleep quality. And it gave like a grade rating of a C minus. And suddenly the day just fell apart. Suddenly you're exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, like, wait oh, a minute. No. I was feeling, oh, I was feeling good up until I got the grade and I returned yeah. that thing for that reason. Talk about the, talk about the power of suggestion. Yeah. Power I, I tell suggestion, people, yeah. pe people walk in with that thing and I'm like, take that off. Please yeah. just take that off when you go to sleep <laughs> at night. Unless your doctor says you have to, um, then take it off because that's exactly that's exactly what happens. And, you know, I've had numerous people come in and feel better that just by just by trusting that they're even if they're awake, that they're doing these things that I'm suggesting they they do that will help their body rest and they start future pacing feeling great the next day. And they come back and they go, well, I don't know how I am feeling so much better, but I'm feeling so much better. And I didn't sleep, but it's just they're giving themselves that suggestion that that's going to be a benefit. And pretty soon, uh, that combined with everything else really uh, will, uh, for most people, will turn that, will experience significant improvement in the actual sleep pretty soon. Because the body needs to rest. It just needs to know that the coast is clear. It needs to have a, a the um, the resource to Get to sleep and stay asleep. Staying asleep is the probably the bigger issue that I get than mm -hmm. more than um, than not getting to sleep. Is people who go to sleep for a couple hours and then wake up and can't get back to sleep. And that same formula for instant gratification can be applied to so many other things. Of to mm -hmm. get your to get your weight loss client already feeling slimmer, even though the scale may have just budged a little bit from week one to week two, just massively gets that foot in the door. That yes, this is working. I can keep this up. To have. The, the stop smoking client, you know, just breathing more easily as a result yes. of that first meeting. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's, and that, and those things are, uh, you know, that setting expectation and actually starting to um, help the client be present in that expectation to be, to bring that into the moment to that, that feeling better and whatever it is. The nice thing about something that you want, like, well, probably like smoking and uh, your body knows that the body knows it's a toxin. So once we're done, we're done. And mm -hmm. usually with hypnosis, the body doesn't, once it gets the nicotine out, um, then I actually don't work with smokers very much. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think that, <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that that's what I think, that, that, we, that the nicotine gets out of the body that I used to smoke. Back when I was an actor, I used to smoke. So it seemed like once, once we got the, 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 the stuff out of the body, that then it was really all mental, but it's just, it really is a mental game. But um, working with some of these things that are on, whether it's chronic pain or or an, a chronic eating issue, those are things that, you you know, figuring out how we're going to live with that ongoing, you still have to eat, you know, yes. it's creating that, creating that new relationship with food, uh, creating, I think the parallel with food and sleep is, is really legit because you, you have to have a new relationship with nighttime, with bedtime, with morning, you have to have a new relationship with, um, um, with food, you're dealing with new relationships with what does it mean to be rewarded, what it, how, emotional comfort, um, those those relationships are uh, as we create new ones, getting familiar. It's, it's just like we were talking about setting that expectation. So we the thing that we're creating becomes something that's known 
something that's familiar and therefore something that's more attractive and available to the unconscious mind. Yeah. And you've brought up that theme beautifully a number of times now about setting that expectation. When when in that process, when in that exchange with the client is that expectation being set? For me, it's in the phone consult. I do a, I still do a phone consult with every single client that I work with. Well, pretty close to every single client that I work with. And uh, I, I know that everybody doesn't do that. And that's not everybody's thing. But for me, it is. I, I am so I feel like I get so much out of it. And we make it helps us make more of our time in the session. And it really helps me filter people that I'm not that, that I'm not particularly interested in working with. And it helps the client come in. Uh, I don't have to undo any expectation when they come in. And yeah. so so we set up uh, in that phone call. We're getting rapport and I'm finding out what it is that they want. I'm letting them know what I do. And then we look and see, does that fit? Is that uh, is that look like it goes together? And uh, I'm always really honest with them and let them know, you know, what what the range of experiences people have. And, and I think people appreciate a not me not telling them that well and, and if there's a 98 98% success rate with with getting people you know resolving this particular issue whatever that may be but i do tell almost everyone that it is hard to do the work with intention and commitment without getting improvement it's really you really have to yeah. it's hard to do it and and people that's that's authentic it's true and and people can hear that and uh, and that i think helps so much with getting going people come in for that first session and they're really ready and they're really um, set to go. And I feel like I save myself time and angst by doing those phone consults. I take I some flack from some colleagues about that. <laughs> well, no, I love that about it. I, I do the phone consult myself too, because it's that, oh, really? that's that first step of the process. Yes. I, I, I automate the hell out of everything. So mm -hmm. the reason is that in my mind that yes, it's a big program that I'm booking with somebody, but that 15 to 30 minutes on the phone with them is technically in my mind, that first session. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I agree. it's where e whether they book with me or not, I want them to leave better off from the experience and knowing that they can do that even better when they're actually in the room with me. So mm -hmm. it's where I'm really setting that foundation as to this is where it's going to go. I I'm still curious about the whole setting expectation. Let's let's say that I'm the client who's now potential client calling, and I've got a history of migraines, you know, mm -hmm. and it's been off and on. Here's what's helped. Here's what hasn't helped. I'm just looking for something. Uh, else that may be beneficial. What are some of those expectation bullet points that you'd be sharing? Uh, first of all, I would be listening uh, nice. before I even looked at setting up that expectation. So nice. I would be listening to what is this person hoping for? What is their heart's desire? I'm not going to set up expectations around things that they're not even interested in or aren't looking for or are have already you know uh, expressed that they're that we're you know aligned. So. Um, so just from that standpoint, I'm really, I'm really listening for the, their, um, the, the part of them that's hopeful when they're calling. And I speak to that hope and say, well, this is where we could go with this. So let's say somebody's calling for migraine and, and, um, I have, I'm fortunate that I have a number of, well, a couple of, of neurologists and, and the one hospital system where the neurology department will refer to me. There's a big crackdown on opioids. And so um, for, there are some migraines that are so severe that nothing helps but an opioid, but a, but a heavy drug. And so unfortunately, those are the clients that are mostly getting referred to me by the headache clinics. because, And I say unfortunately, because those are the people with the toughest 
toughest situations to uh, intercept. People with the migraines that respond really well to the most easy medicine could also probably resolve their migraines entirely with some self-hypnosis like I did. But that's another story. Anyway, so people call, and if they've got this intractable situation, I will, I will quote, you know, I'll do some version of uh, somewhere in that conversation, probably do a, a, a Scott Sandlin quote, and say, well, you know, what we're looking for is measurable improvement. And it's generally speaking, we're going to look for traction to measurable improvement. And you're expressing your situation is like this. And so we'd be looking for that 15% improvement to let us know we're on the right track. Nice. And, and people will usually say, just like Scott Sandlin said, that, that was one of the first trainings that I took when I was looking for that extra training. And it was a, Scott, a training with he and Michael Elner. And he said, most people will yeah. say, yeah, 15% is pretty good when you're in a lot of pain. <laughs> and that's a big quality of life improvement. And that's exactly, you know, I say that and people say, yeah, that, okay, that sounds good. Which is really different than probably what they thought they were going to hear. You know, they might have thought they might. If people come and sit down and they don't know. They might think, "Oh, can you can you fix that? Can you just fix it?" And um, and 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 it's not to say. And I will usually say in that conversation, I will say it's a big range of experience because I want people to expect the best. Because in fact, some people do come in for working with migraine, and it fixes it. It's some people they have their because people who work with migraine are also really good at self hypnosis. It responds exquisitely to self hypnosis, and some people come in and with have had a lifelong history of debilitating migraines. And some of those people, within a very few sessions, are able to get out in front of them virtually every time and create a real resolution. And so I tell people that I say this is one end of it. This is one side, and mm-hmm. then on the other side, there there are people who. Um, who really, it just doesn't seem like it's the right process for them when we get into it. And, and that, that's, and there's every, those are the two, sort of the two ends of the range of experiences that people have. And, and they're, that I'm an eclectic, I tell them I'm an eclectic practitioner. I use a lot of different kinds of techniques and it's, and the, to work with them to find the fit to help them get that traction. And so, you know, I'm just really, I think not trying to sell people a cure in that yes. expectation time is, is really helpful, especially for people who are people who are constantly being barraged with try this herbal remedy, that's going to do it. Yeah. And, um, do go to this kind of a energy worker that's going to do it. And, um, I think that, um, and also for people who are being sent by their doctor, which it happens. And sometimes they're being sent by their doctor so they can check the box so they can get their next dose of opioid. So, you know, that's a thing that happens too. And so helping those people understand that, we're not for those people who might come in with actually kind of a negative um, expectation. That's like they're doing it because they they need to. Uh, you know, if we can get to a point where they're willing to take whatever they can get out of the process, then then I know they're going to get something out of it, even yeah, if it's just some self regulation. Coping is is helpful. And um, even by setting that expectation of you know whether it's just ten to fifteen percent. You know, so often getting a much bigger response than that, really getting that foot in the door. I mean, to bring in the Dave Hellman right. language of look at it as that opening wedge. Right. Yeah. And, and, and once, I mean, and really when we're working with anything that have, has been causing suffering, whether it's insomnia, whether it's pain, um, whether it's unhappiness with your body for any reason, even, a, even something like a degenerative, I work because I work with neuro stuff. I work quite a bit with people who have MS and other uh, kind of things with a, a not very positive prognosis and just 
being able to tap into some positive resources, tapping into um, the feeling of just lightness or, or, or laughter or ease and to be able to touch that and experience it is something that then people know, oh yeah, I would like to be able to do that on demand and, and can relate to that and feel that this is something that's worth pursuing. And even in that phone conversation, uh, I'm not selling them on anything. I'm not being inauthentic, but I will in that phone conversation as I'm listening for what that feels like to hope I do a little bit of conversational, like, well, can you imagine feeling like this? Mm-hmm. And, and, and people can, you know, I say, can, I will ask the question cause it helps me. Can you remember a time where you felt lighter? Can you remember a time before? And people say, Oh yeah, that was great. And you can hear that shift in their voice. And, and then, then to say, well, you know, that's what we're, that's what we're cultivating. We're cultivating that, uh, that kind of feeling, that emotional state that then influences the body and people go, oh, okay, I get that. And they, you yeah. know, it, it's, it's authentic and it's, uh, and it's also hopeful. Outstanding. So then is there a specific focus of um, sort of that next phase of all of this that you mentioned working with some things looking towards a, uh, a little bit more of a global audience? Well, yes, I am looking at um, more of a global audience in that I'm getting into training now. I mm-hmm. um, mentioned my original training, I really, I feel was worthwhile. There were some, I think, and maybe any training, there's going to be some gaps. Uh, what I'm doing now is moving into the training arena more. So I'm doing a certification program, just not a medical certification, but a, a, um, a hypnosis, uh, hypnotherapy, basic 100-hour certification in March. And I'm doing um, more online trainings and um, training. One of the things that I found in Seattle I'm doing more of is just on the local level is training therapists and um, a couple of doctors on using hypnosis, like my dentist, you know, doing little weekend things like my dentist (laughs) must have taken. And um, just on a local level, kind of on request, but I'd like to do that on a broader scale as well. And um, so that means gearing up the the passion to say yes i'm going to do that and and figure out um what that what that looks like to um to launch into that arena um beyond just content beyond the content creation and into putting it out there i chair it kind of goes back to uh what you already mentioned of just simply asking that market you know what would be the easiest way for you to learn this what would be the most beneficial to you that mm-hmm. you know kind of like going into that consult with a pre-organized idea of oh these are the things i need to say the way you beautifully pivoted that question you know to ask them what are your biggest needs and then deliver that mm-hmm. let the audience tell you what they need right yes that's great advice it is a it, it, it is a little it's one of those uh uh questions that it really requires a shift in focus. It's taken me a long time to really recognize that I need to shift the way I do my practice in order to, to pivot my, my focus out to that new area of business that it's really, um, and what I'm doing something now that I did when I first began practicing, when I first began practicing before I had any clients, I just, uh, even though I was still making my living, in that moment doing something else. Uh, I was self-employed at, I wasn't running my theater thing at that time. I was doing, um, uh, transcription of raw footage of video of, uh, of, uh, television shows. Um, and, uh, it was a good little living, but I was moving into this new area and I was about to jump off the employment train and just rely on, on hypnosis. And people would ask me, I, I get around socially quite a bit in Seattle. My partner's an actor still. So I, I get, to, I get out a lot and, 
people would say, what do you do? And I would say, I'm a hypnotherapist. And I primarily work with pain. And I don't think I'd seen any clients when I first started saying that. But it was really part of me claiming that as my new job. And to say, this is my job now. And that's what I'm doing on this side to say, yeah, this is this is not something I'm doing on the side. This is I'm not a hypnotherapist practicing and training. I'm a trainer and a hypnotherapist practicing. So it's a really that's been a, a good shift. Outstanding. So where can people find out more about you online? Um, Cornerstone Hypnosis Training is where my trainings are. And uh, Cornerstone Hypnotherapy is for my practice. And I do work with people online. I do also do mentoring now. Um, but my trainings, as I'm uh, getting content completed, I'm putting it up on the site. Um, and all the information about my live trainings is going to be on that site. And my online or recorded stuff is going to be on there as well. So fantastic. Think, it's been yeah. wonderful having you on here. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you, Jason. Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for sharing this program on your social media streams, leaving your reviews online. Head over to the WorkSmartHypnosis.com website for the links to Tracy's upcoming uh, training events, as well as the information about her workshops at HypnoThoughts Live, as well as the HPTI Winter Hypnosis convention and also check out worksmartbusiness.com if you're listening before the launch you'll get a free copy if you're listening after the launch that'll redirect likely over to amazon and for those of you that were waiting for the tag at the end of this conversation as promised i've gone over to support.google.com and found a bit of a cryptic answer and a little bit of uh googling on your own can find some strategies that at best um, everything says we'll generally move the reviews to the new location. So if you remember back to the conversation with Tracy, uh, back about at this point, six and a half, seven years ago, when I moved my office from Old Town, Alexandria to uh, Fairfax County side of Alexandria, where my office is now. Uh, in that move, I learned that my uh, Google reviews got swiped clean. Uh, all of my Yelp reviews stayed, but the Google reviews all just disappeared. And looking at the Google website, I'll read the quote here, and we'll link to this in the show notes. If your business moves from one location to another and keeps the same business name, Google will generally there's the keyword, will generally move the reviews to the new location. There are some exceptions for businesses heavily tied to their locations, like hotels, golf courses, or scenic attractions, which that makes sense there. Uh, to do a little bit of a search online, uh, you can find there's some helpful strategies that point towards at least how do you retain those uh, as I'm in the process of uh, moving my office in the next couple of months to a much different location. Still in the same area, it's just time to do a little bit of an upgrade around here. It's Jason Lennett here once again, and see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. 